As Christie said there, the new museum drew on the collections of two previous institutions. So the selection of artifacts and the context they were put in was a vital part of telling the story. Curator Kathy Wright showed backstory producer Melissa Gismondi around the exhibition, some of which was still being unpacked, as you may hear. So you were saying we're standing in the main gallery. Yeah, we've, we've just entered the main gallery and we're standing in what's essentially the beginning of the war. Um, so this, this particular area really is trying to get visitors a sense of uh, the creation of the Confederacy and both the United States and the Confederacy ramping up for, for war and the first battles of the war. So we have a large artifact display case on one side that explores real people um, and decisions that they made about which side to support and how they did that. So we've really tried to choose uh, people who are both for the Union and for the Confederacy and the way that the outbreak of war really impacted their lives. So, for instance, we have a, a Southern woman and a Northern man who were engaged in 1860, and the outbreak of war prevented them getting married for, for a number of years. She eventually takes a boat of truce and travels up to New York City during the war and is finally able to marry him. But uh, it, it took several years to coordinate that. Do we know, was it kind of a torturous decision for both of them? It, it was a difficult decision in that they, they seemed to have been very much in love and they wanted to get married um, and she wanted her family to be present. Um, so she, she was from Virginia and they wrote letters to each other back and forth, which then had, had to be delivered through a boat of truce. Um, and she finally made the decision and was able to leave from Norfolk, Virginia with her mother and travel up to New York uh, in 1863. And, and that's when they were finally married. So we have a large portrait of her, and we're going to exhibit some reproductions of the letters as well as their, their marriage certificate. Is their story one that's new to the museum? Or if I had been, uh, say, at the Museum of the Confederacy, would I have heard their story there too? You would not have heard their story before. Uh, we had her portrait on display um, in, in what was essentially a meeting room, which was only used for various public meetings and programs and things of that sort. But there was no real um, explanation of who she was or, or their lengthy, drawn-out romance and, and separation. So we're looking at the second um, of the media pieces, which is going to be presented to visitors. This is another approximately three minute long um, audio and video presentation. And what we really wanted to show within this space um, is the way that African Americans had been uh, sort of taking their own steps even before the war began to free themselves and the way that sort of the evolution of, of emancipation and things like the Emancipation Proclamation influenced their decision about whether to flee to union lines or whether to stay where they were. So we've selected a number of uh, stories um, and quotations from, from real people um, to highlight the variety of decisions that people made. We start out with a, a story that was told by a former slave of a, a young African-American girl being, being punished and then sold. Once Mrs. was sick and a slave girl named Alice brought her some water and something to eat, Mrs. got sick to her stomach and she said Alice was trying to poison her. She got out of bed, strips that gal to her waist and whips her with a cowhide. Alice was chained down by the arms and legs until she got well. Then she was carried off to Richmond in chains and sold. So we, we start out with sort of the worst things which, which could have happened to 
a, a, a slave. And then we move forward into the story of a man who chose to run away. Uh, he was in Louisiana. He hid in the swamps uh, from, from slave hunters for, for several months. And finally, it finally made it to Union lines where, where he enlisted as a Union soldier and served for the duration of the war. One morning, the bell was rung for us to go to work so early that I could not see, and I lay still. For this, the overseer was going to have me whipped. I ran away to the woods, where I remained for a year and a half. Are they after me? Can I stay free? What's going to happen to my family? I had to steal my food, took turkeys, chicken, and pigs. We slept on logs and burned cypress leaves to make a smoke and keep away mosquitoes. Eugene Jardot, master of hounds, hunted us for three months. One day, twenty hounds came after me. We killed eight. The dogs followed us into the bayou, and the alligators caught six of them. We escaped to Union Lines, where I joined Company C, 15th Regiment, Corps d'Afrique. And we conclude with a, a quotation from a letter it was written by an African American woman uh, in Maryland, which was not, um, which which had slaves, but as part of the Union, they were not freed as a result of the Emancipation Proclamation. So she wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln, Mr. President. It is my desire to be free, to go to see my people. You will please let me know if we are free. There's no record of any response to her letter, and she's writing during the war. So we, we know that the answer to that was that, no, she, she was not free and therefore had to wait for the 13th Amendment to be passed in 1865. Do we know what happened to that woman in the years after the war? We do not know what happened to her. Was, I mean, is that story, so for, you know, now I'm thinking about what this this media installation, and, and it's also next to, there's a giant colorized photo of two enslaved people picking cotton in a field. How is this different from how the issue of slavery would have been represented at the Museum of the Confederacy? One of the things which we really wanted to do in this new exhibition, uh, which we'd not have the opportunity to do before, was to focus on the African-American experience throughout the exhibition uh, and to really incorporate it and weave it throughout the, the overall narrative in a way uh, that I think most, most other exhibitions, in, including our own, uh, our own previously, will talk about African-Americans uh, almost as a sideline. Um, and you'll, you'll get occasional little mentions of them, but they're, they're not the main characters. We wanted to make them one of the main characters and put their, put their story and the story of, of the evolution of emancipation throughout the war at, at the core of all of this. We have lots of flags in our collection, and this is one of my favorites because of the story behind it. And I think a lot of people um, when they see a Confederate flag, they have really strong feelings one way or another about it. Um, but this one, I think, challenges a lot of those preconceptions. It is just a, a standard um, Army of Northern Virginia battle flag, so it's that very recognizable um, you know, red background with white stars on a blue cross. This particular flag was carried, we think, based on research by the 49th North Carolina Infantry, and it was carried during the, the, the Petersburg Campaign, uh, which was in Petersburg, Virginia in 1864, at the Battle of the Crater. Now, this is famously where um, 
Union and Confederate troops had sort of been in a standoff in siege warfare, and um, Union troops uh, had hit upon a plan to dig a tunnel underneath the Confederate line of fortifications and to detonate um, a large amount of black powder, basically blow a hole in the Confederate lines and then send in Union troops. Um, so this happened, um, I think it was July 30th, 1864, when this is finally detonated, and the resulting um, crater uh, became known as the Battle of the Crater. And African-American U.S. colored troops were the first ones sent in. And this really became just a complete um, just a complete scene of chaos and, and destruction for both sides. Uh, you had Confederate soldiers who were trapped in a lot of the, the dirt and, and the various debris from the explosion. You had um, now Union troops that are, that are going into that and um, a lot of really fierce hand-to-hand -hand combat. The flag of the 49th North Carolina was captured by U.S. colored troops in this battle. Capturing a flag was an enormous honor for any soldier. So as far as, as, far as I know, this is the only flag um, that is recorded as being captured by the U.S. colored troops. Um, the U.S. Army kept very careful records of who captured a flag because they were eligible for a Medal of Honor. So this particular flag uh, we have had conserved, and we're really um, very excited to be able to, to put it on, on display and present it with the history of its association with the crater and with the colored troops. It's an artifact that, that, that really bridges both sides of the story and, um, and sort of shows how, how the military situation had changed so dramatically by 1864 that you have black men in uniform who are, who are able to go in and perform actions that, that make them eligible to, to receive medals of honor. Was this flag on display at the Museum of the Confederacy? It was on display, um, but it was it was kind of in a downstairs gallery that wasn't part of a cohesive exhibition. It was a sort of a standalone um, item. Um, but it was one that we'd been really excited to get conserved, and now I'm really pleased to see it more integrated and interwoven into the overall story of the war. One of the, the challenges with any exhibition on the Civil War is you have to get the war started and you also have to end it. Um, so the very final gallery of the exhibition focuses on, on the post-war period. And we're not defining this and limiting it with any particular year, um, but we do want to anchor the space with the three amendments to the U.S. Constitution, which immediately followed the war. So these were tremendous steps forward um, in, in, in the United States and um, are all amendments which, which can continue to be discussed and debated and, and relevant today as, as we talk about things like voting rights and citizenship. Um, as, as these rights were, were given to African Americans, uh, there were also a lot of white supremacists who were looking for ways to, to reassert their authority. And this is an aspect that we also want to not lose sight of as we talk about some of the progress that was made. There's also this, this, this pushback. Um, so we do talk about um, some, some terror organizations, such as the Ku Klux Klan, which were established to, to reassert control by instilling fear in African Americans, as well as more um, legal and political means which were, which were put forth to discourage African Americans from voting. So things like the poll tax, which was soon adopted in, in many states, uh, that basically made it financially impossible for the average, you know, poor person, white or black, to go to the polls. How do you illustrate that with items? What sorts of items will be on display in that? 
Um, we're going to be exhibiting a poll tax receipt. Anyone who paid a poll tax was given a receipt. So we, we have a, a, a reproduction of one of those, which will be used to help talk about voting rights. A document that we're using to, to illustrate um, African-American civil rights um, is a marriage certificate. The ability for uh, black couples to be able to formally get married and have a, a, a legally recognized partnership was hugely important to many people. So the, the marriage certificate which, which we're exhibiting um, was issued to a couple who had already been together as a couple for I think about 12 years. They had several children together and they were enormously excited to be able to formally get married and, and have this document which, which, which named them as man and wife. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you talked about there's the this official war ends, but the violence doesn't stop for many African-Americans. So how is, you know, your job as a curator, how do you convey that in a way where it sounds like it's a delicate balance? You need to recognize the progress that's made, but then as a curator also address the fact that in some cases, in some towns, African-Americans are still uh, in danger many, in many cases. It's... It's, it's challenging to, um, sort of personally and professionally to realize that um, in many ways some of the lessons of the war still haven't been learned today and that we're still dealing with, with some of this. Um, my hope for, for history and the study of history and coming to museums is that it, in learning about the past that we can hope to learn from it and make better choices in the future and not go back and, and repeat past mistakes. Um, I hope that it teaches people to be more careful thinkers, um, not only about things that happened in the past, but in looking at issues today. Um, very upsetting, to, you know, just to see in, in the news in the past week or so that, you know, there are still black churches being being targeted and burned. So clearly there are still lessons which we haven't learned collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope that um, we can see the humanity in people and, and that the the enormous struggles that people have made in the past, particularly African-Americans, so many of them coming from, from slavery and having almost nothing and giving up, in, in, in many cases, what very little that they had in, in order to become free for themselves, for their children, um, that this still encourages us to continue to struggle and fight for what is right today. That's Kathy Wright, curator at the American Civil War Museum. To see images of some of the items Kathy discussed, head to our website, backstoryradio.org.